Hey, welcome to our special Sunday this morning. What we've done at Central Vineyard over quite a few years is we've taken moments like the holidays or moments that are a little different and we've held something called Stories Sunday. So Story Sunday has been a chance to be able to hear some stories from our people about how things are going with them and God. Um, this year, we wanted to try and rethink that a little bit and, and give it a little bit of new life. And so what we've come up with is we've come up with The Walk. The Walk is a special Sunday that we're going to do probably every holidays. So we're in the holidays period at the moment. And we're going to hear from three people in our community. And here's the little difference. Whereas last time it was kind of like, let's just throw some stories together, as good as those are. Um, what we've done this time is we've actually given these three people nine minutes to pull together a little sermon. So it's three little sermons on their current walk with Jesus. What that means is, what you're about to hear is three things that aren't just theory. You're not about to hear three things that are just some good ideas. You're about to hear three little sermons that have been put together by three of our people that are embodying their journey, current journey with Jesus, what they're learning with Jesus, what they're noticing with Jesus, and what they're living with Jesus. So it's called The Walk. It's called The Walk because it's about living life on the way of Jesus and walking it out. And so we've got three great people who are going to be sharing today. And the first person that I want to introduce you to is Scott Pollock. Scott is married to Amy. Scott, come on up. He is going to start and he's going to go first. So Scott, over to you. Dobroho ranku, Sirkova. Rik tomu, ja benikolu nepodomav, što budu stovjati tut i hotovati za vami ukrajinsku. I've just said to you, good morning, church. Um, a not just that. Um, <laughs> a year ago, I never thought I would be standing here speaking to you in Ukrainian. Today I'm sharing with you how my journey of following Jesus in this last year has taken me there. There we go. Last year, in the Holy Following Christ series, we looked at the compassionate life as a facet of Jesus' life and how we as disciples after Jesus are invited to embody compassion in our lives. Dan taught about our scale of potential response ranging from apathy through to embodied compassion, that is, a movement of love that pervades us and moves us towards good action in the world. He concluded that sermon with a question to all of us, to what have you been moved with compassion? This is the story of a move from indifference to compassion in my life. When the full-scale invasion of Ukraine began in February last year, I was particularly shocked. Um, even though I'd read about the build-up to it, I'd convinced myself that an actual invasion was impossible, it was just all part of some big geopolitical game. So 
my reality was shaken when overnight, the largest war in Europe since the Second World War erupted. A, a massive, blatant war of aggression in 2022. Initially, I was, I was shocked, but then I was moved to pity by what I saw. Uh, my heart was broken by the suffering and injustice visible from across the world in a new, granular way. Six million people displaced from their homes by fighting. Eight million people displaced as refugees within Europe and the rest of the world. Armed conflict along a 1,300-kilometer front line. That's the distance from Auckland to Bluff. Atrocities against civilians, cities razed, livelihoods destroyed, and by now likely 300,000 people killed and wounded, and counting. I'm not sure what it was about this particular crisis that tugged so strongly at my heart, but rather than ignore it, I began to follow that pull. I was reading local news coverage on the ground in Ukraine, following experts in Ukrainian history, trying to learn a little bit more about how this had come to be, even dabbling in learning the language. This began to draw me beyond pity and into genuine compassion. Engagement with this conflict has been transformational for me. It has opened my eyes to see Ukrainians not as just some generic Slavic people on the other side of the world from me, but as beautiful people made in the image of God. I found this compassion has naturally moved me to action. My friends, my family, and the editor of the Herald uh, will know of my newfound advocacy for justice <laughs> and peace in this part of the world. Um, I've gotten, oh, there we go. I've gotten creative, that's my, that's my uh, front yard, or the verge. Um, more importantly, the starkness of the suffering and needs have driven a new intensity in my prayer life. Uh, and this in turn has helped me seek out new ways that I contribute, can contribute in, in prayer and also um, to actual needs. These photos here are actually um, from a charity in Kyiv who um, employ people with disabilities and uh, bake bread and distribute it to um, hungry people um, who have been affected by the war. This year, as I've engaged with the war in Ukraine, I've also found myself reflecting on the book of Daniel and the imagery found there. For anyone who's um, spent some time with Daniel, you'll know that Daniel pictures our collective actions when we decide what's good on our own terms as terrible, violent animals that bring destruction to all around them. This is a, a strong and recurring theme in the Bible. Ever since the fall, we, as individuals, as communities, as nations, have tried to define good and evil for ourselves apart from God. The story of the Bible from Genesis 3 the whole way through to Jesus 
tracks humanity's repeated choices to define good and evil as it suits us, the chaos and injustice that result, and God's redemptive pursuit of us in spite of it all. How this cycle is represented in the imagery of Daniel is, is so applicable to today. Humans and our kingdoms become like violent beasts when we glorify our own power and redefine right and wrong apart from God. That includes beasts that wage war, but it also includes beasts that oppress, that marginalize, that dehumanize other people. Applying this lens to my life this past year, I've been given new insight and conviction of the ways that I may have been and continue to be complicit in those actions. Through my move to compassion for the Ukrainian people, I've come to identify my tendency to see peoples that I have no connection with, no understanding of, as nameless, faceless others, rather than my neighbors, created in the image of God. It, it makes it so much easier to think uh, that I can love my neighbor when I think of them uh, only as the people in close proximity to me and probably the subset who I like. Um, but in fact, our neighbors are both far and near. They're those like us and not those not. Our neighbors include the people that we might prefer to dismiss. Um, for, for you, in a context closer to home, there might be landlords, there might be tenants, there might be the ultra wealthy, there might be those on welfare. Who might you see as a label rather than another person made in the image of God? So, this has been part of my journey under Jesus in the last year. Moving from apathy to compassion and action. As I've begun to see these people of a faraway conflict as image bearers of God, he has also opened my eyes and my heart to those in Aotearoa who bear his image, but who I might have ignored or marginalized. If I have an invitation to you all out of this, I think it would be to be attentive to the things that stir your heart and to lean into them. To let yourself be drawn by the places that you see the world is broken and to follow that through to action, being part of making all things new. It may be as simple as adopting a posture of humility and seeking to learn more about a people group a cause, a conflict. It may be engaging with a discussion going on around you. It may be giving, whether of your time or of your money. Or it may be a commitment to praying for your newfound neighbor. And as you let yourself be drawn to compassion, you can trust that God will, in the process, reshape you after his heart. Thank you.
wow, I feel my job slipping away from my grasp. <laughs> this is a good morning. One down. Now, the beauty of having three people speak is that we're going to have three very different stories and three very different talks. And so one of my favorite things this week is I've just been with these guys getting ready, has been seeing how different they've been. So I want you just to hold what you've just heard Scott speak on. So Scott's just spoken on moved with compassion. Just hold that. Just hold that there. We're going to come back to the the, um, the moment of his talk at the very end, along with the other two talks, but just hold it there. Is, is the Lord putting something in you? Is he putting something in you as you hear that phrase today, as you heard Scott today? Hold on to that. I'm going to introduce our second speaker. Usually she would be out uh, helping with our kids. In fact, I think she's probably my son's favorite kids pastor team member. He absolutely loves her. Um, today we're going to be hearing from the lovely Javita. So Javita, why don't you come? Let's welcome her. And Javita's going to be doing talk number two. It is Tuesday. I wake in the dark, light a candle, and sit down to pray through a liturgy. I'm attentive and fiery for some prayers, sleepy through others. When finished, I get ready and leave for the day. At school, I prepare my classroom and welcome in a steady trickle of eight-year-olds. We move through the morning and work is completed to the usual varying degrees of understanding and neatness. I am on duty at lunchtime, so I put on my high-vis vest and turn into a sought-out arbiter of playground disputes. After a post-school team meeting, I climb into my car to crawl home in peak hour traffic, a taxing affair that is brightened by a call from a friend. At home, it's the usual dinner, dishes, more work, a little reading, and then finally, often far too late, bed. I wanted to begin today by offering a sketch of my life in medias res, the Latin term for in the middle of things. Opening a story in medias res is usually reserved for epics and action series, but I wanted to sketch you a day from my ordinary life because chances are it in some way mirrors your own. And because it is in this life, this one that I am living right now, that God is at work. My days are full. I am a new primary school teacher, learning the ropes of my profession and trying to keep afloat in a sea of planning and paperwork. I am privileged to lead a circle and love serving our kids on Sunday mornings. I work hard to be present for my friends and try to keep home and life admin in some sort of order. Over the last few years at CV, I have become acquainted with formational Christian practices such as observing Sabbath, fasting, 
and living in community. Bit by bit, I have planted the seeds of these practices in my life and watched them take root and flourish. These practices sustain my every day. They are the ordinary means through which I receive daily bread. When it comes to formational practices, I find myself in medias res. I can't offer recent moments of epiphany that knocked me off my feet, or moments where I feel like I have arrived at some long-awaited destination. I am very much in the middle of trying to practice these things. But I can tell you that on a daily basis, the formational practices that have sustained the saints for millennia have sustained me too. My morning prayer liturgy has so worked its way into my life that in a moment of anxiety at work, the words of a psalm will come to mind and ease the ache in my chest. The words have ceased to be abstract ideas and have leapt off the page to make their home in my heart and mind. Every Wednesday, I share a midweek meal with other members of CV. We open the scriptures, share moments of celebration and disappointment, and pray together. Each Saturday, I practice Sabbath, deliberately setting aside work, not an easy feat, to pray and play, as Eugene Peterson would say, often alongside a friend or two. These practices have tethered me in a tangible way to Jesus. They are never the ends in themselves, but always means through which I place myself before Jesus to become more like him. As grateful as I am for these practices and their fruit, I don't for a moment want to suggest that they are the only sacred parts of my days. A relatively small proportion of my time is spent in prayer, sung worship, and scripture reading. If the sacred were contained to only these moments, vast swathes of my life would be left untouched by the grace of God. Thankfully, this is not the case. In her beautiful book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Tish Harrison Warren takes readers through all the ways in which mundane daily practices can point us to God. We brush our teeth and remember our embodied creatureliness. We drink tea and are reminded to savor God's gifts. We sleep and know that God is working when we are not. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us that our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but belong with body and soul both in life and in death, to our faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. This is true of every moment of our lives, not just those spent in church or in front of an open Bible. In the average Tuesday I sketched out for you, every moment was sacred. Magnificent or mundane, our moments belong to God. Jesus did not consider himself above the mundane. 
In the Gospels, we read of his bold preaching, multiplication of loaves and fishes, power over evil spirits, and raising of the dead. How could we not celebrate God in the flesh doing those things? We can and we should. But also in the Gospels, we encounter Jesus in the realm of the quotidian and the commonplace. As Andy Crouch writes of the endlessly surprising Christian doctrine of the incarnation, the word became flesh. The word went fishing. The word slept. The word woke up with morning breath. It can be easy to dismiss these less glamorous aspects of Jesus' life as a necessary means to the ends of the good stuff. The sermons, the healings, the resurrections. But to see these moments in this way is to view them through a lens Jesus never used. We have no indication from the gospel writers that these mundane moments in Jesus's life were anything less than good. Ordinary meals provided as much scope for grace as preaching to crowds of thousands. Snatches of sleep reminded him of his human limitations and pointed him to his need to rest in the Father. Let's not skim over the almost 30 years of Jesus' life that we have no record of either. Although we don't know much about those years, we know from the strength of Jesus' character during his public ministry that those hidden years would have been spent humbly submitting to the will of the Father, which at that time meant living faithfully in obscurity. In her book, Anonymous, Alicia Britt-Sholey notes that, in unseen places over underestimated years, Jesus had been making unrecorded, unapplauded choices that had prepared him for everything to come. In moments seen by thousands, in moments seen only by one, Jesus could be found offering up every small act for the glory of his Father. Today, I'm guessing that all of us, in some way, find ourselves in medias res. Whether we've been following Jesus for two days or two decades, we are always in the middle of something as we wait for the redemption of all things. The question then is, how should we wait? Here, as always, we take our cues from Jesus. We wait patiently, trusting in God's timing above our own. We wait faithfully, trusting that the means of grace that God has provided are sufficient, that we have daily bread enough for today. We wait together, recognizing that God has pledged himself to a people to whom we are accountable and with whom we belong. In faithfully showing up to formational practices and every other moment of our lives, submitting each second to God, we become a little bit more like our Jesus who submitted his whole being to the will of the Father.
To walk in the way of Jesus is a breathtakingly hopeful act. It is to take God at his word when he says that he is renewing all things and using our exceedingly ordinary lives to do so. It is to enter into the story of a God who did not consider himself too lofty for the mundane, who insisted there was beauty to be found in dirty streets as well as mountaintops. As we follow in the dusty footsteps of this God, I'd like to finish by offering a benediction, a blessing of Paul's from his letter to the Philippians that is as sturdy and true today as the day he penned it. From Philippians 1 verse 6. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Amen. I heard a wow. My job is done. Third talk. Last talk. Number three. I want to introduce you to Mr. Kerr. Chris Kerr, why don't you come and let's welcome him. Chris is going to speak. Here you go, my friend. months ago, I found myself on a hospital bed wondering, where did my faith go? I was raised in a Christian family. At the age of 24, I went traveling around the world for a year. I left feeling exhausted and worn out um, from Christianity. My faith had been propped up and umbrellaed by my parents. Um, during that year away, the Lord met me in a powerful way and my faith became my own. There was a fire and a passion I had not known before. After returning to New Zealand um, from my OEA, I got involved in St. Paul's Church, Auckland, for around eight years. And I continued to grow and serve the Lord. I then met my wife, Kezia, and we went to London for three and a half years, where we joined and served at King's Cross Church. We then had our first child, Joshua, in London, and decided to return to New Zealand when he was three months old. Bit by bit, the demands of life started to increase. My career became more demanding. We then had our second child, Olivia. I used to read a daily devotion every day with Jesus. This stopped. COVID happened. Church became a non-event. Online church with two young kids just didn't work. So Sundays became just another weekend day when we could just do as we pleased. I became very driven in my work. Um, I felt a great sense of fulfillment through it, which propelled me forward, demanding more and more of my time. Um, my identity started to be shaped um, 
by how well I could perform at my job. It got to the point where everything became too much. I'd been living in the red for too long, helping to raise two young kids, a demanding career, mounting fear and anxiety. It all started to stack up. One August day last year, I left work early and took myself off to hospital due to nagging chest pains. I then found myself cooped up in hospital for five days. This was the beginning of a new journey. As I lay there in the hospital bed, the Holy Spirit then started to breathe upon me what I can only describe as the call of heaven. The Lord then spoke to me and said, you won't see the advancement of my church or my kingdom unless you are willing to step into the heavenly realm. The darkness that is like a thick blanket over this nation will not depart if you remain at an earthly level, operating under earthly wisdom and power. I was listening to a great podcast series titled God Comes Where He Is Wanted from the Church of the City, New York. Um, the talk was called The Cry of the Region by Sam Gibson, who was saying that we are no mistake. Each of us has been born into the time and place that God intended, that there is a calling on each of our lives. The calling is to take our place on the wall within the heavenly realm, the wall being a metaphor for the city defenses of heaven a place where we defend and advance against the kingdom of darkness. Um, no one can take your place on the wall. You are, you are unique. You have a unique viewpoint. No one interacts with the same people or sees life through the same set of eyes. If you are not there stationed on the wall, that part of heaven is undefended and not advancing. Jesus commands us to partner with him. It's, it's up to us to take our stand and step into the fullness of the calling that is written in heaven for each one of us. I know for myself, I've spent my life jumping in and out of my calling. I've seen the odd glimmer, but never the advancement of heaven. The Spirit also breathed upon me a sense of the fullness and connectedness of his kingdom. My spirit is now alive in the knowledge that when my earthly body departs this life, I will be brought into a new life that is beyond measure, so full, so complete, that there are no words that can accurately describe the wonder and the glory of what will be revealed. Having this fullness in my spirit, I can now start to throw off the distractions, the desires of this earthly life, and step into the fullness of the calling that the Lord has for me. Tim Keller writes, Why is it so hard to do the right thing if you know it's going to cost you money, reputation, maybe even your life? Why is it so hard to face your own death or the death of loved ones? It's so hard because we think this broken world is all that we're ever going to have. But if Jesus is risen, then your future is so much more beautiful and so much more certain than that. So how do we hear and step into the call of heaven for our lives? Jesus says, follow me. Following the way of Jesus requires a surrendered life. Dan spoke about this a few weeks ago, about dying to self. Um, that's what it's all about. The Lord spoke to me lovingly when I was in the hospital and said, Chris, you can't remain lukewarm. You're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. 
I could only sense darkness and anxiety and utter hopelessness if I continued the journey I was on. I then uttered a dangerous prayer. I said, Lord, have all of me. All I have is yours. May your kingdom come and your will be done. The Lord then replied, Chris, you needed to get to this place of complete brokenness so I could use you for my glory. It's in this place of brokenness and weakness where we learn to lean into the call of the kingdom. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 2 Corinthians 12.9 Having surrendered my life back to the authority and service of Jesus, I could sense in my spirit that a new day had dawned. The old had gone and the new had come. The call of heaven requires daily surrender. And as the Lord calls you to deeper and deeper places, more and more is required. Following the way of Jesus requires discipline. My disciplined life for Jesus started as baby steps. It started with me saying, um, Lord, I have, I've got no time. The Lord responded and said, yes, you do. I'll show you. Give me your time in the morning when you normally read the news, your commute to work, your walk at lunchtime. I started praying daily, no fancy words, just talking with Jesus as if to a good friend. I needed to get to know him again. The Holy Spirit started to put a hunger deep within me to read the Bible. I was prompted to read Psalm 139. This happened day after day. I thought, what's the point of reading the same Psalm every day? <laughs> this, this went on for a couple of months. This psalm, and all the Lord has spoken through it, has had a profound impact on my faith. The Lord said, if I could do that with one psalm, what can I do with the entirety of my word? The Bible has become a foundation now, which I stand upon. I read it daily. I'm currently working through the Bible in One Year app, written by Nikki Gumbel. I highly recommend it to anyone looking to do a daily devotion. Dan did a talk on fasting at the end of last year, and I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to make it one of my spiritual disciplines. Throughout my Christian faith, I'd made a concerted effort to avoid fasting at all costs. A talk on fasting in my mind was worse than one on tithing. <laughs> this, this call to fast happened just as the festive season was approaching at the end of last year. I did a Jonah, I blocked my ears and I ran. I then feasted heartily through the summer. It must have been about mid-January, the Holy Spirit started to stir me again and I reluctantly decided to give it a go. I'd managed to pad myself out over the summer so I was no longer gonna waste away by skipping one evening meal a week. To my amazement, the Lord met me in power and wonder during this time of prayer and fasting. And it's become such a special and profound space for the Lord, it's sacrosanct. I long for it each week and I defend it. The Lord spoke to me one night and said, be still and know that I am God. The Holy Spirit then unpacked this in my spirit over the coming months. This has become an integral part um, of my prayer life. My time of um, fasting and prayer now starts with being still and allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe upon me all that the Lord has to say. 
It's through being still and knowing that he is God that I am discovering what it means to be in fear and awe of the Lord. Day by day, his greatness and glory grows bigger and bigger in my spirit. As I was praying and putting this talk together, um, Jesus said, I want you to ask the church this question. Will you feast with me and my Father in the heavenly realm? You will be led to a spacious place, drawn up from an earthly perspective to a heavenly perspective. There you will find all the wisdom, knowledge you need to thrive in this life. The noise, the voices and confusion at this earthly level, that'll be silenced in the spacious place where the Lord dwells. It is this space where you hear his voice and the call on your life. The Lord said to me, Chris, you can do nothing in your own strength to advance the purposes and plans of this kingdom, of my kingdom, do exactly what I tell you. Nothing less and nothing more. I said to the Lord, well, surely more is better. And the response was, no, if you do more, it's outside of my calling on your life. I will raise others up to do those tasks. It will become their calling. When I call you, I go before you to prepare the way. The door is open for you to walk through. If you do things outside of my calling, I have not gone before you to prepare the way, and the door is not open. Therefore, you will be doing it in your own strength and building your own kingdom, even if it's well-intentioned. I have not called you to be a well-intentioned people, but a people who know their master's voice and respond to it. Follow me. The pearl of great prize. Price. <laughs> now that I have refound the pearl of great price, there is nothing greater. Every day as I continue to practice the way of Jesus, the pearl of great price gets more and more valuable. All the riches and the wisdom of this earth cannot compare to Jesus. He is everything to me. I have now come to the realization that life is like a blade of grass blowing in the wind here one day, gone the next. By handing my life over to Jesus and to his kingdom, I live in a fullness of life for eternity. I now have immeasurably more than I could ever imagine and a firm foundation to stand on that is not governed by the things of this life. The call. I now know who I am, who I have been created to be, and the meaning of my life. Each day is a gift from God. I used to want to fast forward through chunks of my life to get to the next holiday or fun event, but now I find joy in every day, knowing that God is at work. I see him moving all around me like he's moving chess pieces on a board. Most of the time, I don't know what he's up to, but I know that it's transformational. I'm going to read out some lyrics from a Jason Upton song titled The World is Wide Open. It's a dangerous song. If we all embodied the spirit and words of it, we would see heaven descend in our lives, church, and nation. Where will we turn when our world falls apart and all the treasures we stored up in our barns can't buy the kingdom of God? And who will we praise when we've praised all our lives, men who build kingdoms and men who build fame? But heaven does not know their names. 
Take us way beyond religion, way beyond the minds of man. Take us way beyond politics and the ways of this world. Oh, deeper, 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 deeper. We want to go deeper. I hear all of creation crying. We're waiting. We're waiting. Stop telling us that you're the chosen people. Start living like a chosen people. Every son and daughter in the church today, I'm calling your name. Teach them that my ways are far beyond the ways of man. My ways are far beyond religion. My ways, my ways, my ways are far beyond one people. My ways, my ways are higher than your ways. Teach them how to love. The world is wide open. Teach us how to love. Practicing the way of Jesus is all about love. As we make Jesus king of our lives and allow him to come in and change us from the inside out, we experience his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. We also learn to love ourselves in the process. This love then overwhelms us to the point where it is then poured out to a dying world and the kingdom of heaven is released. Have you given yourself fully to Jesus? Is there anything you're holding back from him? Are you operating on the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of the kingdom of heaven? Does heaven know your name? Do you know the call of heaven on your life? As I practice the way of Jesus, I hear the call of heaven. Thank you. I would just... We've just heard three spectacular talks. Yeah, everyone's nodding. Yeah. Now, can we just say thank you one more time and, and offer for the time? <laughs>